Welcome to the Utah Podcapalians. Now, this is a podcast about our unique church in this unique place that we all love called Utah. And you know, today we have a very, very special podcast. This will be the first of what we hope are many visits with our new bishop. And she's not really new bishop anymore. After all, she's been here a couple of months. The Right Reverend Phyllis Spiegel, who will be talking to us about a variety of subjects. And I know you're going to want to hear it because it's pretty exciting in just even our pre-conversation. So let's get right to it. Welcome, Bishop. And I have to ask you, you know, that question that everyone is going to ask you as you arrive at any coffee hour at any church, at any checkout counter, and there's somebody that says, hey, howdy, you're the bishop. And that is first impressions now that you're here in Utah, now that you're in the bishop's chair in the cathedral, now that you are the bishop. Any first uh, impressions here? Well, I am glad, first of all, uh, to be a, a guest on this esteemed podcast. I must say that I uh, listened to all of the podcast episodes as I was in the process of the election. And so great fun to be on the podcast as an official guest, I guess, as we could say. Oh, my first impressions. Two things. One, as far as Utah, the beauty is never ending. My favorite thing about Utah so far is that you never know what's around the corner. You And especially because I really literally don't know what's around the corner as I drive to the churches and from different directions. And every time it's like you just go five miles and the landscape is completely different and it is magnificent. I have to say, when I came home from my Sunday visitation, I was down in Price, went down a day earlier than planned because of the impending snow for the weekend before. That was the first snow of the season it was called for. And I kept hearing about going over the pass. And I was like, yes, yeah, since I don't know what that is, I think I'll do that in the daylight. Thank you very much. But when I came home to see the foothills from my front porch that I can see um, covered in snow, just I've been waiting for that moment. I love, I love all the seasons. And so um, it's just glorious. That's so that's my first impression of Utah is the unexpected glory of it all. The first impression of being a bishop is I never knew what fun visitations are. Every single week, I get to go and have amazing conversations to dwell with people in their practices, the way they express their Episcopal liturgies and traditions. And that's the the breath of the Episcopal Church. It's just, it's a lot of fun. So those are my first two impressions. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to ask you on some cold day in March, how you still feel about the snow. So uh, <laughs> I'm still going to love it. <laughs> I'm, from the, I'm from the mountains, remember? I'm from yeah. the mountains and I, I'm a mountain girl. So I, 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 I adore snow. You know, um, and, and in these conversations and what is, um, I think, delightful about our podcast that we cover not only, I think, the uh, things that bring us together in friendship, but also some of the things that bring us together in a little more serious matters. And I want to get right into one, because as you talk to people, I know in the coffee hours, as you talk to people before church, as you talk to people, if you're at a grocery store, 
we're kind of in a time of unrest, of political unrest. Now, you are our spiritual leader, and um, you have, of course, made this part of your whole uh, theology is that of unity, the theology of forgiveness, of getting along, of joy. And so I want to start right there with our first very serious question, and that is, what advice do you have as the bishop for all of us who are facing unrest, particularly in this time when we're going to be getting together with family and friends? And, you know, we say, oh, gosh, uncle so-and-so doesn't really agree with us. What can we do? So let's start right there. I'm going to start with a real hard one for you, and that's it. And I'm going to start with an maybe unusual um, suggestion. And that is that we take a page from Weight Watchers and how they tell you to go about the holidays. So anybody who's ever practiced the Weight Watchers system knows that they give a lot of advice on how to head into the holidays. And what they say is pre-think what you're going to do. And if you need to eat before you go to that party, do so so that you're ready to partake of what you want to. Our spiritual practices that I hit over and over and over again, the way of love practices, those seven practices of our faith to turn, to learn, to pray, to worship, to bless, to go and to rest, they are there for us. The reason why we practice those every single day is so that when we get to difficult times, like family gatherings with people who we had to unface, unfriend on Facebook because they're, and we know they're just waiting for us because we can't unfriend them at the Thanksgiving table, right? We have to engage in conversation. We need to pre-think how we're going to engage in those conversations with our practices of discipleship at the root of our heart, at the root of our behavior, and that we are ready to check everything that comes out of our mouths through the practices of our faith turn to God before we turn to our opinion, right? Really stop, reflect, listen, try to learn something. Ask, asking questions is a sacred art. I mean, our, our Jewish siblings, right? They are experts at asking good questions. So the technique of asking a question, tell me more about how you came to that feeling is that, do you remember an experience in your life that makes you feel really passionate about that that takes it off the I'm on this side you're on that side so we turn to the practices of full communion and that doesn't mean that we agree with everyone it means that we are people of the middle way our life is centered in Christ and out of that centrality are we supposed to act, to speak, and to be in relationship with others? That's fascinating and um, very good advice. And I know I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I gotta ask something that's uh, happy. But um, the other thing is, is that in sincerity, um, and I'm sure you're facing that as we're in uh, the holy season of Advent coming up on it, the holy season of uh, Christmas, mm -hmm. Epiphany, um, we, we greet these with also a little bit of depression going on um, economically, perhaps even personally, after the pandemic. We face these times 
with uncertainty, not just the political uncertainty, but we face some wondering, is COVID over? Is the next thing around the corner even worse? Um, and we actually even have family members who might not remember if they're small children, um, what the holidays are like, and we look at our Hallmark card traditions. So what do you think, what, what do you say to us as we want to celebrate and definitely celebrate Christmas. We want to observe Advent. We want to observe Epiphany, but we are walking in with a little bit of depression and uncertainty. So um, unpack that one for us, would you please, on what you think we can do that will help us through these times if we're facing those. Craig, I think that you bring up such an important point that depression is probably in some measure in all of us because our world is is fraying right it is fraying and and to to not be affected by that i think would be to have blinders on and not in relationship with the truth of the suffering i i myself am worried about two things those who can't afford any food for the holidays i mean on a regular day much less the holidays and those who will go in debt trying to do the same meal that traditionally is expected in their family, instead of saying, these are times we have to cut back. So, so there are real factors where we can't even just with abandon, enjoy our holiday traditions, right? And have the meal, have the big turkey, have the big ham, whatever it is that uh, because gas is so expensive, relatives can't afford to travel, or um, it might not be safe still with COVID. All of these factors still, as you say, affect our traditions, which means that, you know, the seasonal depression that happens when the clouds start uh, blocking out the sun, these things are real. So the first thing is to go back to the fact that we are community. We need to not be cheerful and perfect for everyone, we need to join together honestly in how we're doing and to check in on how other people are doing. The number one way to heal yourself is to help someone else. That is from Pastoral Care 101. In some measure, it is shown the endorphins get released. You bake cookies for a neighbor. You take in the trash cans for your neighbors. You do some small act of kindness and consideration and your spirits will lift so i think that's where we start and we remember that everyone is hurting and we don't look at someone laughing and say wow at least they're having a good time and we remember that we probably are all hurting in some measure but we can all also help one another in some measure you're homebound because of illness or immunocompromisation or something, um, pick up that phone, call. Oh my gosh, wouldn't it be lovely to, to receive a handwritten note every now and then or um, something along, along those lines. Um, oh, if you're a knitter, you know, knit, knit prayer shawls or prayer squares to be sent to church and ask somebody in your church to come and get them and have them blessed at the altar so that prayers can be given through your handcrafted. There are a lot of different ways, but the, the way we go about is we check in, right? And if we can't afford um, the meal we want it to, what can we afford that will 
be an expression of, of our thanksgiving for the blessings that we have. That's, that's part of our faith. Now, I, I, I have to tell you about um, one of my very favorite services uh, that as a priest that I, I cultivated because I sort of, when I became a priest, I inherited a service called Blue Christmas and I rejected the premise of that service. I, I'm not, not a fan. And because I thought, wait a minute, we have people who have lost somebody or are depressed and we're saying, okay, come and be by yourself with people just like yeah. you, but we're not going to let you integrate with the rest of us. And I thought that's kind of, it's not what that service says, but it's how I felt that some of that was, I just was hearing it that way. And I was like, we can do something different. So over the years, I worked with the church musicians who are incredible um, resource on this. And I came to realize that I can't get to Christmas now without that service, because that is the service where um, the passage that comes to my mind every year is from the Old Testament. And there's a passage that says, Rachel, re Rachel weeps for the children of Ramah, that the sorrow in the world is so great that a, a, a matron of our faith weeps. And that service that I called longest night service was where we would get together on around the 21st of December and have a service where we stopped before the joy and we remembered why Jesus came into this world. Our faith offers us the time, it's beautiful music. I mean, a bleak midwinter is, is, is gorgeous for that service. Um, to, to stop and to think, you know, that, that, that Jesus came because the world could not find its way back to wholeness without the incarnation. The law was not doing it. We needed love incarnate. And so on that longest night was a service that allowed us to let Jesus come to us just as we were, to cry, to hold on to others, to comfort, to light candles, wonderful things. So I encourage um, whether that's uh, in your own home or whether that's as a church, to find a way to observe the stillness and the darkness of the world and to pray for what needs to be prayed for so that when we come to Christmas, when we come to the celebration of the incarnation, we know that we are greeting our Lord from the place of full humanity. So I think our faith offers us what we need for times just such as this. You just mentioned that we can do this in a church or in home. I know that home services, home observation of our various holidays is important to you. Do you want to explain a little bit about that, that, that these holy days don't have to be celebrated in the church down the street, that you can observe them at home too? Yes, and, and if, if you can get to church, I, I, want, I want to be clear that go to church. Well, of course. <laughs> <Don't> stay home. <laughs> go to church. But from Advent to Epiphany, through Epiphany, those these days are probably the, the um, seasons of the church year that we have the most home practices 
as part of our faith. So it starts, of course, with the Advent wreath, um, which is an evergreen wreath. And, and oh, you can go on Pinterest and you can see 400 different ways of doing that. You know, you can have your mason jars. You can have, you know, there's like a lot of different ways, however you want to Pinterest it up but that you have candles um, and they can be electric if you're in a facility that is not allowed open flame, but that you have a way that every night or every morning you stop. And so if you have family to have uh, children light that candle, you know, maybe just holding your hand for the first couple of years. And then as they get old enough to strike their first match, being with the Advent wreath is incredibly important. Um, the, the, there's tons of resources for how to celebrate Advent from all ages. But in my household, some of my favorite mem memories of raising my daughter were around the Advent wreath. And we had a song that we sang, um, and it was actually a Girl Scout song used to, to do like the little candles at the end that you float out on the water on the last night of camp. And we sang that song to rise up, O flame, and show to us um, life's joy, beauty, and wisdom, which is perfect Advent song, right? And so we would sing that um, once on the first week of Advent, twice on the second, right? And we had these traditions. So whatever it is, make the traditions. You know, there's place in the home for Elf on the Shelf and those sorts of things but not in place of our faith traditions. It, I read once that a child's faith is formed in the household far more than in the Sunday school classroom. Mm. So I found as a parent that having that moment where we turned off all the lights and then we, um, my child's godmother made her an incredible book that had an activity for every night to do. And we would, and we would do this little activity and we would light the candles, we would sing our song, and we would just sit there and watch the flame, which is a mesmerizing thing to do. And of course, Advent, the symbolism of the wreath is that it's life everlasting. That's the green circle of the wreath. Um, that's why we use evergreens. And then that the, the light of Christ grows throughout the season of Advent as we get closer to the birth of the Christ child, that light grows so that what started as a darkened world becomes illuminated. So on that first night, we can barely read the text, right? We can barely read the text. And then by the fourth Sunday of Advent, the, the whole living room is lit up as it will be on Christmas morning when the light of Christ is fully in this world and that we will never ever be without Emmanuel again. So Advent is incredible. There are so many Advent traditions that are wonderful for individuals, for no matter any age. And I still practice those Advent traditions because they have me be still in this world. And then I'd go through um, that, you know, there, we have lots of Christmas traditions as well. Um, singing Christmas hymns, I realized something that, you know, uh, it's good to memorize the, the, our theology of, of Christmas is actually in our hymns, right? So by memorizing, so that's a Christmas practice to, to memorize those, you know, sing, do a sing-along in your house and really uh, learn some of those Christmas hymns so that we can at least sing the first stanza, this first stanza of every Christmas hymn that we, we um, enjoy. And then Epiphany is one of my very favorites where we bless the chalk and epiphany is the time when house blessings. So if you have a new, a new home, it would be the time to invite um, your, your clergy person over for um, 
uh, a meal or to invite the entire church over for a, a, a little bit of an open house and the house gets blessed. And the reason why house blessings are traditional for the season of Epiphany is because, okay, Craig, here's the test. Here's the question for you. Uh-oh. Why? Why do you think we bless houses during the season of Epiphany? Who came to a house during that we that marks Epiphany? Well, that's when the three kings came to the house and brought, well, not to the house. I mean, it was a house, I guess. Yeah. And uh, brought gifts. At that point, and, it would have been, yes. You're yeah, right. And the, uh, the 12 days of Christmas ends on Epiphany. And traditionally, particularly among uh, English uh, tradition, that the 12th day was the day of gift giving and not really Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. How'd I do, Bishop? You did great. And so, and so we, we um, and, and in fact, you brought something back to me. I want to tell you a, a tradition for, for the 12 days of Christmas, but now since I'm on Epiphany, let me, let me keep with that for just a second. So um, blessing chalk is an Epiphany tradition. So it gets blessed on Sunday morning. It gets taken home uh, on the Sunday before Epiphany or on Epiphany, depending on it's January 6th is, is always Epiphany. Mm-hmm. And um, and you put above your household, uh, and above on the door above your house for the season of Epiphany, and then you remove it on Ash Wednesday. The chalk um, uh, C plus, or you put the uh, the year, so two zeros, so the first two numbers of the year, and then plus, so two plus zero plus C for um, M plus M plus B, so it can be the three, the names of the three kings as we have assigned them, Caspar, um, Malchior, and Balthazar, or it can be Christus Mencionum Benedictus, which is Christ blessed this house, right? So, and then you put the plus two, two, the end of the year. Um, so oh, actually, sorry, that would be plus two, three by the time we get to this epiphany. So that blessing in chalk remains on the lintel of your house to say, Christ bless our house this year. Now I've gone to people's houses in July and it's still up. And I'm like, you know, you can take that down. They said, why would I take a blessing down off my house? So there are people who keep it up, keep it up all year, which is fine. One of the things I was going to tell you is a, a parishioner of mine taught me about um, her tradition in her household for Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas. And that's that um, they open a, a gift a day. and and they celebrate all the way through. And she said, it works out well for us because that way we get everything on sale for our gifts that we're giving and we don't have to buy them full price. Well, there you go. <laughs> and she said, you know, sometimes you get a gift and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just, and it might be one person who gets a gift and, you know, um, and that it really spreads it out and you just enjoy being together and 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 the abundance, abundance of blessing. There's so many traditions. If you look them up, um, we are rich with Christian traditions from different parts of the world. And that's another fun thing to do is to look up how the 12 days of Christmas are celebrated around the world and epiphany. Amazing. All over. The, yeah. And, and that is one of the great joys in our diocese that our diocese does have diversity and some of our congregations, it is just great to watch going house to house and to watch, of course, the epiphany cakes and things like that. It is really a wonderful time to be an Episcopalian, I think, to be a Christian in general. But we really encourage it that if you're Episcopalian or not, that you look at some of the diversity that we have, um, that not everything is of European tradition. And we have uh, some of our congregations that have just enriched us with... Uh, traditions that have come from South America, Mexico and places, really, really fun stuff, I can tell you. And, and, and the joy 
that people have in sharing those traditions. I know um, that that alone is is a wonderful way to celebrate past Christmas and into Epiphany. What is, um, or did you have a comment on yeah, that? I, yeah, I did actually, because I think this links back to what we were talking about in the very beginning is how do we, how do we handle the, the, the sorrow and the, the, the depression that happens so often at this time of the year? Well, we live into some of the, the, the fun and festive traditions that have a meaning besides commercialism or, you yeah. know, exhaustion running around trying to get everything done, right? But that are the simple um, things at home that allow one to, to look forward. So so in, in, in my household, you know, we didn't put up Christmas decorations until after the fourth Sunday of Advent. I mean, my father was um, a dogged about that, that we celebrated Advent. And then we, and uh, after the fourth Sunday of Advent, we could put up our Christmas tree, which was really fun when, you know, the fourth Sunday of Advent was Christmas Eve or Christmas day. So, <laughs> um, but then we kept our tree up all the way through the, the 12 days of Christmas. Um, and so I, I, as, as someone in my parish once told me, well, Phyllis, you're never getting that cat back in the bag uh, because <laughs> Christmas trees go up early and that is fine. But I think you know, what, what does it look like when you put your tree up and then the next week you might put your lights on and then the next week you might put decorations on so that Advent, you know, you're celebrating it in a different way. How do we grow into the season and take away some of that pressure to have everything looking like, um, you know, Southern Living Magazine on, <laughs> you know, the day after Thanksgiving, right? That we don't need that pressure because that's not what our faith tells us the season is about. It's fun. Do the things that are fun but also make sure that you have the meaning balancing that out. And that's also good for our visitors to our church to uh, recognize that frequently you will go to that church and you'll maybe see a tree, but you say, well, where are the lights? Where are the ornaments? And it's, uh, ah, but come back, come back on Christmas Eve uh, or the fest of Eucharist. And then you will see that, that it is following those. And I think, we, um, well, let me ask you, you're the expert. I'm just the guy that sits in the pew. But um, uh, uh, wait, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. The people who sit in the pews are the experts on worship. I have never heard that word used to describe me, but uh, I'll accept that coming from my bishop. But uh, the, the thing that I wanted to bring up that just in a short answer, because we are running out of time, it's been fascinating. But do you, are we um, doing something to our faith by just kind of passing over Advent and passing over Epiphany. These sound like from your, your discussion, that these are major, major seasons, and we often just get caught up in Christmas by listening to Christmas carols on the radio or watching Christmas sales and watching stories just rip everything out on the day after Christmas. I mean, are we missing a real joy and a real observation? That's a leading question, as they say, because yes, yes, we are. And I'm glad you answered it that way, because I wouldn't have known where to go with this if you would have said, no, Craig, it's all about <laughs> Christmas. Thank you, Bishop. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, you know, and, and I say this, you know, as a bishop, you got to be careful when you say things, because I don't want every you know, altar guild chair to suddenly be calling Cokesbury ordering wax candles. But um, there's, I agree with what you said so much that, um, you know, we have those uh, oil candles now. So the candle, you know, it's like a plastic thing or, and you, you pour the oil in and it lights, right? 
and they make those for add the advent wreath as well. And I'd been at, at, at my former parish for a couple of years. And I finally had to say, we've got to take those out. We can use those every other Sunday, but we can't use them for the advent wreath because it is significant to watch the candles go down and so that we mark the season of advent and on the sunday on the week that we had the advent quiet day which is also another tradition that we didn't mention um people wanted to know why we should have a an, a quiet day we you get everything off your schedule for a saturday which is precious in december right and then you you go and you just sit with people and don't say anything like what's the point of that well, the point is advent because we believe that God speaks in a still small voice and we have to make space and time for that. And so when that Advent candle on the, the church wreath burns throughout the entire day of the quiet day, and then you start worrying, is the greenery gonna get lit on fire because it's so small because of that quiet day, then you know you've done Advent right. Then you know you have made space and time to listen for the presence of God. How can we not lose out? when we don't do that. Oh, that, uh, that's it. And, and really, you won't see artificial trees in an Episcopal church, or at least under your Episcopate, correct? <laughs> Craig, you just made people uh, go into a panic, but... Um, yeah. uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I got you speechless. Great. Well, this is a good time to wrap up this podcast. About about time, but I'll give you the last uh, one. Word, last word, it is appropriate to have greenery on the altar of whatever nature, but hopefully cut greens in, instead of flowers during the season of Advent, because we, we do remember the, the evergreen as the symbol of eternal life. How about that? That's great. And of course, in each one of these podcasts, our uh, person who has been recording this, Brianna, I always like to give her a chance to ask something too. Uh, and we're we're about at our half hour mark. But Brianna, is there anything you wanted to ask the bishop in this very first podcast? With uh... we're going to call it "Stump the Bishop." All right, ready? No, Go. I didn't. I <laughs> what? Do you have any any uh, last thought or question? Yeah, yeah. I want to actually go back to the beginning. Something you mentioned at the first when you talked about your Sunday bishop visitations. I want to familiarize our listeners with not just what the purpose is of those, but what your purpose is of those. So what is the reason that you go to these Sunday Bishop visitations? Thank you for that, because we do talk in Episcopal speak sometimes, and it's always helpful to have a moment. There, there are a couple of reasons. So there is a canonical reason, which means a church law reason, and that is that um, the bishop is supposed to make regular visitation and those canons are written differently depending on circumstance. And here it's once a year, the bishop will go and visit a congregation, check the records, um, talk to the leadership of the church, so the elected board of the church, and uh, make sure that the church board has the ear of the bishop and that the bishop is aware of the life, health, and vitality and spiritual well-being of the churches in the bishop's charge. So that's the, the main reason. However, um, as I'm a new bishop, the former bishop, Bishop Hayashi, um, made those visitations. So there's no canonical requirement that I'm visiting. But so my, my purpose right now in making those visitations is to build community 
to have a chance to talk about the things that I think um, are incredibly important in our Episcopal identity, but primarily to listen, to really get a feeling for um, the, 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 the best of what the Episcopal Church has to offer in Utah, right? What is it that we love about our church, our ministries, our place, our people? And then to also, what are our worries, our fears, our laments, our hopes, our longings for where we are called to serve? Each church is in its location because it has been planted by God to serve in that location. And as Jeremiah says, the welfare of that church will be found in the welfare of the city. And so my job is to go and to let the people be the interpreter of their location and their church to me. So. Wow. Well, that's great. Well, this, uh, this time went by really too quickly. And I hope that this is a regular uh, part of I know if you're busy days that you can be part of these podcasts, because it, it is so good to get to know you this way and to talk and to learn about you in your version of um, the Episcopal Church, uh, not just canonically, but just some of the ways that you like to see the celebration that is all included in the Book of Common Prayer and our other, uh, our brand new publications that we now have from um, uh, General Convention that we can use and some of these, the music and all that. So thank you so much for contributing to this understanding that we have as we examine our unique faith in this unique land of Utah as we are the Apocopalians podcast. Episcopal Diocese of Utah. I'm Craig Worth, and thank you so much for being with us. 